morning. Welcome to the people online. I said this at the first service, you don't look quite as rested as they did. I mean, that extra hour, you wake up and you go, oh yeah, I got an extra hour. What am I going to do with that? <laughs> right? But uh, we, love that, we love to have that extra hour, don't we? Uh, but then we hate to lose it, but uh, that's what we do, right? Hey, what I'm noticing is there's a lot of people, and I'm, I'm guessing that the people gathered here and watching online struggle with this too, because I've come across a whole lot of people that are caught up, not just dealing with, but caught up in fear and anxiety and just struggling with that. And I want to talk about that today because our passage does. Because it's one thing to experience fear and anxiety and worry. It's another thing to live there, to build a house there and find that's where you've been, you know, residing for the last couple weeks or months or whatever. And so we want to talk about how do we get past that? How do we get over that? And what are some tools that from the passage that we can use that God has given us to help us to grow uh, so that we can manage that a little better? And we're going to find from the life of Paul, he's got a lot to share. And from not just theoretically, but from real life experience. I mean, this guy went through a lot. So we want to talk about that. We're, we're going to be in Acts chapter 18 because we are moving through the book of Acts. And so if you would, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. Now, my assumption is, and I said this at the first service, that we have different groups of people at different places in their understanding of the Bible and Christian walk. Some people, you've been Christians for a long time. You know your way around the Bible. You, you pretty much, you, you know, you, you know, kind of, you know what it, what's going on, right? Then there's others of you that you can find your way around. You know some certain passages and things like that. And that but there's certain things you don't know. And then there's some of you who are like, you feel like an idiot. You don't know anything, and you don't even know like the the real difference between the Old Testament and New Testament, and the Gospels and the Epistles. And when we use words like that, you you just go, I don't know. And and when I grew up, I grew up in a Christian home, and I when I became a follower of Jesus Christ, I didn't know anything, and I asked dumb questions. Sometimes people laughed at me, but sometimes they showed grace and they helped me out. But we just, I just want you to know that you're in the right place because there's a bunch of idiots along with you here right now and watching online, just like I'm an idiot. And, but we, we're all going to learn together. And we're all going to learn different things. And we're going we're gonna to take something from the Word of God and it's going to be helpful. So here's, here's the method that we're going to use. First, we're going to walk through a portion of the passage in Acts 18. Then we're going to... I'm going to kind of explain it as we go through it so you can get the background and understand it. We can all be on the same page. Then we're going to look at how does that apply to my life, all right? That's what we want to spend our time on. All right, so let me read. Uh, this is Luke who is giving us this account, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he says this, Acts 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Now, let me just mention a few things about Corinth. Corinth was a city of about 200,000. 
it was kind of like a trade city. There was a lot of traffic that would go through Corinth. A lot of goods were shared. It was kind of like the wild, wild west in, in a way. But it was, um, it, was a, uh, it was a really busy town. A lot of cultures there. A lot of things happening there. And they were, uh, they had on the hill, they had the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of sex. And so they had a, like, some people say they had thousands of temple prostitutes, like it's the religion was. You, well, I won't go into it. You can imagine what it was. But they had a phrase, and they called it Corinthianized. And they would say, you're Corinthianized when you are sexually immoral. You've been Corinthianized because you're sexually immoral. And there was a lot of people walking around Corinth who were Corinthianized, okay? And so that's the city. Now, What's really interesting is that Paul tells us how what his state of mind was and what his attitude was when he came into Corinth. Notice what he says. This is found in, you might want to write this down, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first five verses. And I, I do that so you can hear the heart of Paul when he is reminiscing and thinking back of when he visited Corinth. This is what his attitude was. And he says this, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were, were not with wise and persuasive words but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest in human wisdom, but on God's power. That was Paul's attitude. Now, notice, jump back into Acts 18. Luke's account, we continue. He says that we came to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed with them and worked with them. So Claudius, the Roman ruler, kicks all the, all the Jews out of Rome. And so Aquila and Priscilla are kind of kicked out, so they're looking for a place. They end up in in Corinth, and Paul's there, and they happen to be tent makers just like Paul is. Now, we have a terminology today. We say a person who is in a foreign land, and they're, they're, they're basically making their own money, and they're not relying on churches or other people to support them. We call them tent makers, because that's kind of what Paul's doing here. He's not relying on the church. He's relying on himself and his skills. And there are many people around the world today that are in countries where they're working jobs, but they're doing, and in, in the United States, there are, are some who are serving as pastors who work a job and then do a pastor's work, which is very incredibly difficult. And I can't imagine that, that they do that. But Paul was a tent maker for a time. We're going to see he's going to shift from being a tent maker to really putting all of his effort and his time into preaching the gospel here in a minute. But he has these new teammates, and they're going to become important as we see. And Paul is going to be teaching in Corinth for 18 months, a year and a half. All right? Let's jump back into the text. Every Sabbath, 
that would be a Saturday, he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook off of his clothes, off his clothes in pr- protest and said, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent from now on and will go to the Gentiles. So Paul, his, plan, his general MO was to go to the synagogue and teach there. And he would, many Jews would respond in faith. But now what he's finding is he's finding conflict here. And so he says, that's it, I'm done. So he puts a pause on reaching out to the Jews and he says, I'm gonna go to where the apples are ripe and they aren't in this orchard here, so I'm going over here because the Gentiles are ripe and they're ready, the fields are ready to harvest. And so he decides to go over there and now bring the good news with the Gentiles. All right. Let's jump back into the text. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus, Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. So we have Crispus, who is the, the synagogue leader. He becomes a believer and follower of Jesus, and he leaves his role in the synagogue and starts to go with Paul and, and follow the church, the early church. And so now the synagogue is without a leader, right? And we're going to see this is going to come up here. So we see Titus, the leader of the synagogue, he leaves and he joins Paul in this new church. Then notice what happens. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. We're going to look at this a little closer. Understand this. Paul was filled, his life was filled with conflict. Everywhere he went, there was conflict. I mean, not just people upset with him. He was getting beaten up. He was getting left for dead. He was, bad things were happening. And it would have been very easy for Paul to say, enough. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want the conflict. And God is going to come alongside him and help him. So they basically gather this mob together, and Paul's seen mobs, right? While Gallio uh, was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a, 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 unif- a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charge, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names of your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. So Gallio, uh, who is the Roman ruler here, the religious people, the people of the the synagogue, they bring 
charges against Paul, but basically the, the, the ruler here says, this is your law. This is dealing with your religion. I don't really care about that. I'm not going to get involved in this. You deal with it. I'm, I'm done with it. So he kind of does the same thing that, that Pilate tried to do with Jesus when they brought Jesus. He said, well, this sounds like your religious law. You deal with it. You settle it. And so it sounds like he's trying to take that same path. So he sends them away. And then look what happens. Then the crowd turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul, and Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. Now, it's very interesting, and we don't know this for sure, but so, so remember the first synagogue leader, Titus? He, he, he comes and he fo- begins to follow Paul and uh, the rest of the Christian church. And so they need a leader. So Sosthenes is the one. And it's very likely that Sosthenes was behind this, this group that brought these charges, you know, uh, uh, to Gaius. Uh, and, and, and so it, it didn't work. So what happens? They, they beat him up. <laughs> they, they, they take this synagogue leader. The crowd turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him up in front of the proconsul. And, and Gallio basically said, well, whatever, <laughs> do what you got to do. Now, think about this for a minute, because it's very interesting. If you read 1 Corinthians, if you read the greeting that Paul gives, he says, greet my brother Sosthenes. That's very interesting. Now, it's very likely that Sosthenes was the ringleader bringing the charges to, you know, to Gaius, uh, Gaius it's very likely that he was behind it, and his, his efforts failed, so the crowd retaliated on him, took it out on him, and beat him up, and you would think that here he is, broken and beaten, if this is the same one, and I think it is, I think there's a strong, you can build a case for it, so he's probably not a, a, a favored position in the synagogue anymore, is he? Well, he's certainly not favored in the church, because he was the one who kind of brought them up before the, the Roman council, right? But here's the thing. It's very likely what happened was that Paul and the church reached out to this man after he had been beaten up and brought him in, put an arm around him and said, come on in. And, and this is, this is an, a very interesting thing because he didn't just become a believer. He became a significant part of Paul's efforts and Paul affirms him for that. You can read more about that, but that essentially that's, that's my point. Now, all right, so we're through this. In, in fact, uh, 1 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul greets, he says, Sosthenes, our brother, and, and I think it's the same one. Now, for the month of March, or for the month of March, yeah, for, <laughs> I'm jumping past winter, aren't I? <laughs> For the, for the month of November, we're, we're encouraging you to memorize a passage of Scripture. And the passage is Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10. We already read it, but let me read it one more time. God is saying to Paul, in the midst of all this conflict, in the midst of all that's going on in his life, he says, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. All right, so that's the passage. We could stop there and we could say, okay, we've learned about Acts 18. We've learned about Paul coming to Corinth. We've learned about Aquila and Priscilla and how they brought false, you know, how the, uh, the Jews, Paul was not successful. He went to the Gentiles 
and how the church began to form and the synagogue leader left and all that happened. We can say, okay, we're done. The, the, the point is this. What difference does that make to us? And how is that going to help us with fear and anxiety and worry? Okay, how, how is this passage going to speak to that? Because I think it does and I think it can. So here's, here's what I want to do. I want to answer the question, how can we get up when we're down and out? Because some of you are down and out, and you've been down and out for a long time. Some of you are watching, and you're down and out. You're struggling. You've been struggling for a long time. You're, you're struggling with fear. You're struggling with anxiety. You're struggling with worry. And it's something that you just can't get out of the funk of it. It's just pulling you down. How do you do it? Well, I think there's some, some good hints from this passage of how we can get through this. So let's just go through this. How do, you, how, how do you get up when you're down and out? Number one, you gather together with your people. One of the things you see about Paul is he always had his people with him. When he first started out, who was it? He had Barnabas, right? And then, then who did he take? He took Paul and Saul, right? And then he had Timothy and Luke, right? And, and now who does he have in the passage today? He's got this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, right? So he always had people with him. Here's the point. God doesn't intend you to do life alone. Now, you may say, and you may be connected, and you say, well, I have my family. Good, that's great. But if they're not believers and if they're not followers of Jesus Christ, sometime your family will give you advice that's not really good advice. Like, they'll, they'll, yeah, I don't want to go into details. You know what I'm talking about here. But look at what Paul says about Aquila and Priscilla. Um, first, let me just show you, because I want you to catch an idea of just what the struggle was that Paul was going through. He had major conflict. In, in 1 Corinthians 4, he describes his time during, in, in these 18 months. He says, to this very hour we go hungry and thirsty, we are in rags, we are brutally treated, and we are homeless. We work hard with our hands. Who's we? Paul and Aquila and Priscilla and others. But they didn't do it alone, they did it together. You know, it's one thing to suffer alone, to struggle alone, to have fear alone to have anxiety alone. It's another thing to be with other people who can build you up and encourage you and help you when you're down and when you're discouraged. And Paul was encouraged by Aquila and Priscilla. He says this about them in Romans 16. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my coworkers in Christ. They risk their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. So you see what Paul's saying here. He's saying, these people, my people were with me. We were in the trenches. And God never intended you to do ministry alone. He never intended you to be out on an island alone. He never intended you to do life alone. He created you for community. That's why we want to try to get you into life groups if we can. Because it's much more likely that you're going to meet your people in a smaller setting, in a more intimate setting, when you're not sitting in rows, but when you're sitting in circles. 
where you have people who know what's going on in your life and they're praying for you. They're praying for your kids and your grandkids. They know that you have an appointment this week with a doctor. They know that you're going through chemotherapy right now. They know the depth of your struggles. They're going with it, through it, with you. You, you, You're not going alone. So God, here's my question. Who's on your team? Who's in your corner? Who are your people? Paul always had his people. Who do you have? Who do you have? If you're married, is your spouse one of your people, hopefully? Do you have friends? Do you have people who can pick you up when you're down? All right, so that's the first one. Gather with your people. Paul always had his people. And basically what he's saying is, I wouldn't have made it without them. I wouldn't have made it without them. I couldn't have done this without them. And neither can we. Secondly, don't dwell in fear. God told Paul, do not be afraid. Now, maybe you've heard this. I certainly have over the years. The Bible says over and over, fear not or do not fear. In fact, somebody counted. There's 366 times in the Bible where it says either do not fear or fear not. You've heard that, right? Anybody hear that? You can raise your hand. Anybody hear that? I've heard it. Now, the good news is 366, not 65, 66, so you're covered for leap year, (laughs) right? The only problem with it, it's not true. It's not. It's not. There's a hundred and some times where it's said. I mean, we just read a passage where it's said. But not 366 times. Let's be honest about what the Word of God says. It doesn't say that 366 times. It says it over a hundred. My question is, how many times does God have to say, fear not or do not fear, for us to really listen? Right? Isn't that really what it comes down to? I love the, the passage... Um, So in the book of Joshua, the nation of Israel is getting ready to take the land. And God has his his leader, Joshua, and he basically has this moment with Joshua. It's the coach before he puts him into the game, right? And he says this to him, and this is Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Doesn't that sound a lot like what, he, what we just read about God to, to Paul? Very similar. It's very similar. Why? Why? Because he was going to have to lead a nation into the promised land, and that meant there was going to be a whole bunch of conflict and battles and tru- struggles, and, and he had them. A lot of struggles, a lot of problems. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Fear is a necessary human emotion. I mean, if you're barreling down a highway or hill and your brakes go out, there ought to be a panic or a fear. You shouldn't go, oh, well, that's fun, you know? No, it's not fun. It's going to kill me, maybe. This is not a good thing. You know, if if you're in the woods and a bear is right there and the bear begins to stand up and come at you, you ought to say, I hope somebody's with me that's slower than me, you know? <laughs> right? 
you should be afraid. You don't want to walk up and say, hey, I'm going to pet you. Is that okay? Now, you don't want to do that. So there is a certain fear that God has put in us that's smart, it's good, it's right. But it's one thing to, to have those moments of fear and to dwell there, build a condo there, live there, make it our permanent residence. That's where the wheels come off. And what, we, what I find is we often feed our fears. We live in our fears. We move from fear. We, we need to move from fear to faith. By the way, and I just to say this, please, would you turn off the TV set, the radio, and everything else where you're getting this negative content all the time and you wonder, why do I always feel upset and angry and fearful and because you're watching people who are feeding that to you. It's a steady diet. Just turn it off. Do something else. Paul writes this in Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, not the fear, but the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The word, the Greek word there, it's a very interesting word. It's only used a couple times in scripture. Do you remember when Jesus was uh, crucified and uh, they put him in a tomb and uh, the religious leaders went to, the, they went to the pilot and they just said, we need a guard. Well, a guard meant, you know, send many men to guard the tomb because they were afraid the disciples. This is the same word. Let me read it one more time. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Here's what I'm, here's what I'm understanding and what I'm seeing and what I see it in my life and I, I see it in other people I'm talking with. You're not guarding your hearts. You're allowing your hearts to run off and get crazy and say crazy outlandish things and you're believing them and you're allowing worst case scenarios to go crazy and you're just allowing your heart to go off and you need to be like the psalmist and says, why are you doing this heart? Be quiet, shut up, guard your heart. We do exactly the opposite of what this verse says. What does this verse say to do? Be anxious for, for nothing. Do not be anxious about anything, uh, but in everything, every situation, pray. What do we do? We're anxious about everything. We pray about nothing. It's exactly the opposite. What does it say? It says, pray about everything. Don't be anxious about anything. We do exactly the opposite. We wonder. We're not guarding our hearts. We leave our hearts open. Say, come on in, fear. Come on in, anxiety. Hey, can I turn this on and get my heart all amped up and angry and upset and discouraged? That'll help. We just, and we let our mind and our heart go round and round, right? The psalmist says this, when I, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Here's why you need people in your corner. Sometimes you just need to have a day of fear, of anxiety, or, you know, a couple hours of it. You need to process it emotionally, right? I get that. But there needs to be a time where, you, where somebody, a friend, somebody, your people, they call you and say, I'm going to give you two hours. I'm going to give you today. I'm going to call you tomorrow. But we're going to, we're, we're going to, we're, we're coming out. I'm going to pull you out. I'm going to pull you up. We're, we're done. You, you need help. And we're, we're going to come and we're going to help you with this. That's what we need. We need friends for that. 
See, when you're overwhelmed with your fear, you need time to process those feelings, but you also need somebody to pull you back. And I, I found in my own life, maybe you found it too, that much of fear is focusing on the things that you have no control over. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember what he said there? Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, it says, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So I read the story. Don't know if it's true, but I like it, and I'll tell it. So Abraham Lincoln, you know, he was a lawyer, and basically uh, he was uh, one of those uh, lawyers that had to travel from town to town on horseback. He was an itinerant uh, circuit rider lawyer. And many times they would have to cross these rivers. There were no bridges, okay? You basically had to go through these rivers. And uh, as he was going through a number of the rivers, uh, some of them, you know, different times of the year, they'd be higher or lower. And this particular time of the year, it was very high. The rivers were very high. And he was concerned about the Fox River, that if you go from here to Chicago, you cross the Fox River. And he was concerned about there was no bridge to go over, and it was dangerous. And so as he was camping one night, he came across this itinerant preacher who had, you know, was doing the same thing, not legally, but he was bringing the gospel to these little towns. And he was fording and going across these rivers, you know, many times. And so Lincoln sat down and was talking to him, and they were talking about, and Lincoln basically said, I'm concerned because we're going to go come to the Fox River, and, and with, a, with a way that the level are on all the other rivers, I just feel like, oh boy, this is going to be difficult. This is going to be a challenge. And the preacher said to Lincoln, allegedly, he says, I have, I have a rule about the Fox River. And Lincoln goes, well, what is it? He says, I don't do anything about it till I get there. I don't think about it till I get there. That's exactly what Jesus said, right? Don't worry about tomorrow. Because you can't do anything about it. You can't fix it. Just don't allow your mind to keep going to tomorrow. Keep worrying about it. So let me ask you a question. What's your Fox River? What is it in your life that you absolutely, the enemy wants you to fixate on it, wants you to be discouraged, wants you to be angry, uh, angry uh, anxious about it, wants you to be fearful about it? What is your Fox River? We all have one, right? And the enemy likes to keep saying, well, what about the Fox River? What about the Fox River? And your mind starts going, your heart starts going and you're not guarding your heart, and you're letting it go off, and you get all up, upset, and you're all anxious about it. And, and now fear hasn't become just an emotion that I, I deal with, and then I move through it. It's become a place where I settle. I lay a foundation, and I build a condo there. You got to choose daily. At any moment, am I going to choose fear, or am I, am I going to move to faith? Where are you going to dwell? Number three, you need to take the next step. Notice what Paul says. He he doesn't say, okay, uh, Paul, just let's shut shut this down for a while. Don't go preach anymore. No, he doesn't say that. He says, keep on preaching. Keep on talking. Keep on going. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't be silent. 
Paul is discouraged. He's struggling. He's had so much conflict in his life. Um, But he says, keep on talking. Keep uh, Keep on sharing. Don't be silent. Why? Why does God say that to Paul? He says, because I have many, many people in this city. In other words, God is saying to Paul, Paul, there, there is a, this city is worshiping the wrong God. This city is blind spiritually. This city needs the gospel more than any time. You are, my, you are one of my tools to reach this city. There are many people in this city that I have that belong to me. Hey, can I just say this? There are many people in this community that belong to God, and it's our job to help them to figure that out and to help them understand who God is in their life. So so he doesn't say, Paul, we're going to get rid of that conflict. We're going to make your life easy. He says, Paul, keep talking. There's still going to be conflict. And the enemy wants you to... to shut it down. The enemy wants you to live in fear. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't let fear keep you from taking what the next step is. Some of you know what that is. Some of you know that God wants you to start doing something, and you've been afraid of it. You, you, you've been anxious about it. You just, you just won't do it. Some of you, God is telling you to stop doing something, and you won't stop. Take the next step. What is the step that God wants you to take? Take the step. And then finally, I mean, have your moment with fear, but then move on to faith. Um, I found that when I take those faith steps, good things happen. Um, By the way, he he says to Paul, I'm going to protect you. Now, Paul's still going to get banged up. (laughs) This is, I've met some well-meaning Christians that have believed, and I don't know where they get it from, if you come here on a consistent basis or watch online on a consistent basis, you shouldn't get this. But some people think that when I give my life to Christ and I begin to follow Jesus and I begin to try to live for him and do his will on a daily basis, then I, shouldn't, I won't struggle with any bad things happening and stuff like that in my life. I don't know where you get that from because you don't get it from Scripture. You don't get it from the book of Acts. You don't get it from Paul's life. You don't get it from the disciples' life. You don't get it from Jesus' life. You you don't get it from anybody's life. If they're living for God, there's going to be conflict. And there's going to be trouble. And there's sometimes going to be pain and suffering and loss. Jesus said, in the world, you'll have what? Tribulation. What does he promise? He doesn't promise to keep us from tribulation. He promises to be with us in the midst of tribulation and trouble, trials, fear. All right. Number four, look for him. Look at what God says. God told Paul, I am with you. I am with you. So instead of focusing on how many times God says, fear not, maybe we ought to look at how many times does God say, I am with you. You remember the Great Commission? He says, Go and take the gospel to all people and baptizing and teaching them all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, 
even to the end of the world, right? You didn't say it'll be easy, it'll be a cakewalk, it'll, you'll never have conflict, you never have trouble. You know. No, he says, in the midst of all that, look for me. You'll be in the midst of a storm. You're going to be, uh, by the way, I have a lot of by the ways, I'm sorry. But I think one of the reasons that Jesus allowed the disciples to go through some of those physical storms was he wanted them to be aware that though they're in the midst of the storm, he's still in the boat. He's with them. That doesn't mean you won't have storms. It does mean he will be with you. All right, so look for him. Don't forget that God is with you, and don't forget the God who is with you. And there's two parts to that. One, part one is to remember that God is always with us. There's never a time where God will not be with you. And in the midst of whatever you're going through, he not only is with you, but you have to think that take the second. Well, let me give you the first part. Psalm 23, and I, I've quoted this a number of times. I've read it a couple times. Um, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and the, your staff, they comfort me. So it's one thing to know that God is with you. It's another thing to know that the God, the kind of God who is with you. Now let me tell you why I'm a, a, I'm a pretty bad father, okay? Confession time for those of you online. Here's why I'm a bad father. Let me re I re wrote some of the reasons why I'm a bad father and I've failed my family. Number one, I can't always be there. You say, Matt, you're not omnipresent. Well, no, I'm not, and that's the point. I can't always be there. And I can't always help them when I am there. So there's two problems there. Number one, I can't always be there. Number two, if, even if I'm there, I can't do anything. I sometimes say the wrong thing. I don't always understand their pain. I tend to be selfish. That's me. That's who I am. That's how I fail. But look at this is this is the God, the kind of God we're talking about. Um, he holds the world in his hands. He gives us life. He sent his son for us. He has held nothing back from us. He has always provided himself, proved himself faithful. His promises are backed up with action. He understands what we are going through. He promises he will never leave us, and he can back it up. It's called his faithfulness. So really quick, super quick commercial. I did a blog and I talked about something that happened 30 years ago when I was in seminary and it was, it was, uh, it was one of those, those just points you put a stake in the ground and say that is uh, a teaching moment that I never want to forget. And uh, if you read, if you, I don't even know if it's up, it'll be up sometime probably because I mentioned it in the sermon. If it's not up, it'll be up later today. Bethany will put it up. But that being said, it, the reason I tell you about that is because I use that incident 30 years ago to, to remind me of God's faithfulness. And it took me about six to eight months for me to see his faithfulness. 
And I was struggling with anger and frustration and fear and anxiety. And I was trying to serve the Lord. And so I had all of that going on. And, and the Lord basically caught me one night. And I talk a little bit about that very quickly in that. But my point is this. I have used that as a teaching and memory moment for me to remember when I'm struggling now with something because then I go, well, wait a minute, he was faithful there. And I can rehearse this time and this time and this time and this time and is this time. And the Bible says his mercies are new every day. So it's one thing to know that God is with you. It's one thing to know who this God is who is with you. So what is it? All four of these probably aren't as applicable to each and every one of you. Do you have your people? Do you have people around you that, that you can go to, that they're there, they're your people, right? Are you, are you, have you built a condo in fear? Fear is something... It's natural, it's something we can do, but you, you've got to find a time where you, you move out of it. Are you willing to take the next step and are you willing to trust God? So what, what's your next step? I have four things here. Do you have people in your life to lift you up? Will you continue to, will you, uh, are you going to continue to allow fear to dominate in your life? Are you willing to take that next step of faith? And then have you rehearsed God's faithfulness and goodness in your life? Also, if you start memorizing that verse, the Bible says, God's, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you also, that I might be encouraged and might be reminded. The Spirit of God would bring that to my mind when I'm going through fear and anxiety. See, what are we gonna do? What steps are we gonna take? God doesn't want us to live in fear and anxiety and, and all of that. The devil, the enemy wants you to live there. God doesn't want you to live. God wants you to move on. So, so, so God doesn't pull Paul out of this. He keeps him there, but he says, I'll be with you, just hang in there. I'm gonna give you some people to be with you. I'm going to give you a task to do, keep at the task, and just remember, I am with you in the midst of this. You're not alone. You're not alone. Stand with me, let's uh, gather as we pray. Father, Thank you for bringing us together today and help us to understand uh, our desperate need of you. And fear is a real part of our lives, Father, but it's not a place that we should dwell in and live in. Uh, anxiety and, and all that goes with it is, is not something you want us to continue in. Help us to guard our hearts. Help us to find our people. Help us to take the next step. Uh, Father, help us to learn from the passage today and may the Spirit of God take something from this passage to help us conquer our fear, to move from fear to faith. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.